of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Um, we've been taking it a little easy in the offseason so far just because, um, one, uh, the Knicks, in case you haven't noticed, are not playing games right now. Um, and two, there really hasn't been a ton to discuss, um, in large part because this is a season that uh, I think a lot of people would just as soon um, not remember. Um, but... I wanted to make an exception to that rule because um, I rarely read something um, or look at something uh, in terms of Nick's analysis that really blows me away. And um, I saw something over the last couple of weeks that blew me away because it was really, really good. And I wanted to get the person that did it on the podcast to talk a little bit about it because um, it was really good. And I think it was informative and I just kind of want to learn um, a little bit more about his thought process that went into it and also um, just what he thinks about the team. So, um, without further ado, I'm welcoming to the podcast Dallas Amico of Posting and Toasting. Dallas, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Uh, happy to be here. And and can I confirm what you said to me in, in our Twitter DM message? Is this actually your first podcast appearance? It is my very first. Yeah, never done one before. I'm honored. Uh, I feel like everybody and their mother has done a podcast at some point. So for me to to be, you know, the way you pop your cherry is, um, I'm honored. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Um, so I got in touch with you about coming on because you had um, on posting and toasting. Um, I guess the first part came out. Um, two weeks ago, roughly. And then the last part came out a week or so ago. Is that right? Or the second, Something yeah, second like part. that. Yeah. Close enough. Um, and you analyzed the Knicks offense this year. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, this person must be either a real basketball nerd or he must hate himself and <laughs> really need significant um, hours of therapy because why would anyone willingly want to analyze the Knicks offense? And then I opened the piece and I started looking and you just did a really great job of it. Um, and, and I think you drew some really interesting conclusions, which I want to, I want to talk about, but before we even get to that, w like, why did you decide to, to write this piece or to basically perform this like massive analysis in which you looked at, you know, literally dozens of video clips and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, well, so, I mean, everybody this year has been, um, you know, making all sorts of claims about uh, the Knicks offense. Um, you know, people have been very discouraged about it, uh, critical. Um, you know, uh, where's the ball movement? Where's the player movement? Is there any? Um, and so I, uh, I, I wanted to get to the bottom of it. Um, and it, I hadn't seen any pieces, um, just like I spent some time Googling. And there wasn't too much uh, that actually went into detail about, like, what sort of offense they were actually running. Um, and before I like to, you know, uh, I wanted to know what the answer was. And before I say anything like, you know, their offense was terrible or, or awesome or whatever, um, I want to, you know, actually get the evidence. Um, I don't want to just uh, make ridiculous claims without uh, having some support. So 
I spent a lot of hours, yeah, watching film, um, trying to figure out what was going on, what went right, what went wrong, what the actual offense is, uh, and that's, yeah, that's the origins of the piece. Yeah, and and you and you did an amazing job of it because I and and just you know I want to I want to highlight one thing because there's you know there's a lot of Knicks blogs out there and and a lot of writers that put not just try to put lipstick on, on the pig that is often the Knicks, but they just do a whole, they do a whole facial. Um, and you, you don't do that. You come right out at the beginning of the piece and you're like, look, the Knicks offense was bad. Um, this piece is not, is not trying to argue that it was anything other than, than very bad. <laughs> it was the, I'm, they did finish 30th, right. In offensive rating or were they 28th or 29th? It was no, they were thirtieth. They were thirtieth. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was I was hopeful for a second. I, I forgot what the final number was. Um, no, yeah. Even even the Chicago Bulls somehow beat which us is out. you know, but and that's staggering because if if anybody's paid attention to what that team turned into after Boylan took over, they basically just started running an offense that would have been better suited for like I don't know. I guess the the nineties. Um, it was and and we scored less uh, points per possession than they did. Yeah, um, which is home, but you decided to figure out why. Um, so let's. I kind of want to start with this. Um, my thinking all season was that it was it was unfair, not unfair. That's the wrong word. It was perhaps. Um, it. I don't want to say a waste of time either. There was something inherently missing about analyzing an offense that existed in a league. Where everything, I mean, we're recording this at halftime of Golden State Houston. Everything is based on shot creation and and shooting. And I said all season the Knicks had less shot creation and less shooting than anyone in the league. So you know, drawing any conclusions about about their offense was like you know kind of a fool's errand. But then you actually, I think, when you looked at it, you discovered that well, no, actually. Their offense could have done some nice things, um, except it didn't. So why don't we start with this? What ultimately do you think? I mean, and you, and you had a couple different conclusions. If there was, if you could encapsulate where their offense failed this year, um, how would you sum it up? And I know this is probably not going to be an easy or short answer. Yeah. Um, so I mean, ult- I mean, obviously, like you said, just the talent wasn't there. Um, so that you have to start there. Um, you can't. Uh, make uh, an offense work without talent. Um, but after that, I think uh, the offensive sets were actually uh, pretty impressive to me. I mean, a lot of the stuff you'll see, Gold- I mean, Golden State likes to run, um, do- use these elevator uh, elevator screens. The Knicks were using those. Um, they were using I mean, just a whole bunch of concepts that are sort of cutting edge. Um, their offense doesn't look or didn't look that much different than some of the good offenses around the NBA, or at least they were using concepts that sure. some of the better offenses around the NBA are using regularly. So that all looked pretty good to me. Um, there were times they didn't get into their sets as quickly as they should have. Um, and there were a lot of times when they got into their sets where um, they set t- terrible screens or people um, on the weak side of the ball would be spaced poorly. Um, Ennis Cantor and Noah Vonley both um, had trouble with this. Um, at various times. And when uh, you say, I want to just, I'm going to do this occasionally. When you say spaced poorly, you mean basically like someone is supposed to clear out of an area so that another player is available to go into that area. And and you're saying that those guys did not do that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, yeah. So for example, 
Um, if you, so if you're, if you're trying just like a very basic example, if you're trying to run, um, a pick and roll, um, it, it depends on the sort of pick and roll you're running, but a lot of times you're going to want to clear out um, the middle of the court so that, um, essentially when the ball handler comes around the screen, um, the drop man, uh, the, on defense, the, so the, the big usually, um, is the only one in front of the ball handler and the hoop. Okay. Uh, essentially you end up with like a two on one. But uh, if if one of the player, uh, the only way to get that sort of situation on the court is to have um, your other players, the wings um, and your power forward or whatever, um, to spread the to spread the floor, to be standing around the three point line. Um, but you'd often find, for example, Ennis Cantor or Noah Vonley, they they had a habit of occupying those center uh, areas of the court um, when like a pick and roll was run or other actions as well. Um, which allows their defender to help into the paint. Um, it makes it easy for them to bump the roll man, um, and it makes it really easy uh, or significantly easier for the defense to defend. So that happened a lot, and you pinpointed a ton of – so let's actually – I, I want to backtrack for a second. Essentially, the, what I took from your piece is that their offense was predicated on many different types of um, screening – sets screening techniques i don't know i don't know what the right word is um but the ultimate goal was to more or less get the ball handler um going downhill is that a, a fair characterization or how would you adjust that yeah no that's fair um i think you, you look at the Knicks offense um and you look at just like at their uh points per possession on isolation attempts um and you have uh alonzo trier who is actually pretty good i think he averaged uh, I mean, pretty good for the Knicks. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> one point per possession on isolation attempts, um, which is not uh, not terrible by any means. Um, but after him, I think the second best isolation player was like Noah Vonley, and it was like 0.8 something um, per possession. Yeah, and is, then there's some pretty ugly ones um, under that. Yeah, um, just terrible, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, and when, so you compare like James Harden was uh, like 1.11 points per possession. Um, on isolation attempts, better than the Knicks' entire offense um, together. But anyway, so yeah, when you have such terrible uh, uh, creators, um, you have to be clever about uh, creating advantages because you're not going to be able to create them the way that like a Giannis or uh, Harden can do without any help um, from a screener or without any help um, from off-ball action. Um, and I thought the Knicks uh, did a decent job of it, trying to create or, or use sets that created those sorts of advantages. Um, lots then, of why. Oh, so go ahead. No, no. And I was, I was uh, going to say, and then after they set up those sorts of advantages, you go through uh, several ways in which they essentially uh, took them and, and threw them in the uh, tire fire that was this season. Um, <laughs> so one you already mentioned, basically players being in the wrong place or, or essentially in the way. What were some of the other ways that you saw in which, like, basically things went wrong from there? Um, There's a lot of uh, – this got better as the season went on, but a lot of screens were very poorly set. Or just, like, um, Kevin Knox had a habit of half-assing screens. Or just, like, you know, like, sometimes he'd walk up to the guy that he was supposed to screen and, like, just walk past him. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, go over here now. I can see Kevin Knox doing that. Um, yeah, it was hysterical. Um, Moody did that too sometimes, uh, but Knox was Knox was the worst. It was really funny. Um, did did uh, you say they got better with it as the season went on? Were there any player or players in particular that you saw improvement from, or I guess conversely, anybody who just like was abhorrent like straight through the entire season? Um. I mean, the biggest change was adding DeAndre Jordan. Okay. Uh, say what you want about uh, DeAndre Jordan. The man knows how to set a screen. Uh, <laughs> Very uh, he's great. He, he sets them all over the place. He does them really well. There's a, bunch, there's a bunch of advanced sort of screening concepts he uses that other guys just like, um, you know, like switching the screen, uh, the direction of the screen, sure, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, you just don't see like Mitch Robinson doing at this point or Luke Cornett doing at this point. Um, so, yeah, that was probably the biggest change. You went from having, you know, those 30 minutes played by um, Cantor, who was constantly slipping everything um, uh, and trying just to dive to the basket, uh, to somebody who was actually setting, you know, really good screens. Wait and a minute, hold on. Are you, are you suggesting that Inez Cantor was maybe looking out for himself as opposed to the betterment of the team? We can't have that on this podcast. I'm sorry. Um, it's just not going to be allowed. Ines Cantor is no, I'm, I'm kidding. Obviously, um, I hate Ines Cantor. Um, anyway, uh, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that's good. I never got the Ines Cantor hate. I was I I was sort of okay with him. He was he he gave me some uh, amusement during like uh, just a, a brutal stretch of. Uh, I mean, this season was hard. It was hard to watch. I tried to watch most of the games, but there were times where it was just. Oh, terribly boring or just just brutal. He um, was good for a laugh. He was good for a laugh. I'll give him that. When he kissed the court, man, that I. <laughs> you can't write that stuff. You really can't. I know. I know. Like that's that's some serious. Uh, I don't know. What are you, cojones to you know? I I've said this. I wouldn't have minded anything he did on the court, and I would have I would have appreciated the the nonsense if he just kept his mouth shut in the locker room but then when you go out and like i just want to win and i don't understand why i'm not i mean come on man yeah um anyway so um the screen setting got by the way you mentioned um dj and mitch did you because there's been a lot made of this like mitchell robinson's improvement after deandre jordan arrived did you see any improvement in his screen setting over the last like couple months of the season uh, that's a really good question. To be honest, I didn't focus explicitly on that. Um, I haven't spent to- enough time, like, just watching film from, you know, his first 20 games or whatever, gotcha. and then watching film from his last 20 to see. Um, he definitely was making, like, just, like, you know, casual observer comments, like, making more contact, um, looked less afraid. He was getting a little a wider base, getting there, uh, on time, there were some times early. Um, I think I had one or two examples like this in, in the piece, maybe, um, where he uh, there was a screen he was supposed to set, and he would just be he'd be too late to the um, to the spot, and gotcha. so he wouldn't sort of uh, do it. Um, and as he learned the offense, you know, um, or learned where he was supposed to be, he improved it in that in that respect. Okay. But whether it's DeAndre Jordan or not, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so screen, so, uh, I, and I think there was one or two other things that you'd noticed that like were typical, like categories of things that went wrong. The biggest thing, um, was just passing. Um, that was, so like, uh, we talked about the Knicks, they, they created a bunch of advantages out of their offensive sets. Um, and they would just squander them away over and over. It's like they would, they would start the play exactly as it's drawn up, you know, it looks great. 
they create an advantage like um uh you know one there's one example of a play where like lance thomas is literally as open as i've ever seen someone in a half court set just like nobody near him standing next to the rim um and uh, you know moutier like sort of looks at him and then like turns away and passes the ball to the guy standing next to him with two men on him you know i I had to i had to literally watch that clip about five times um in your piece because I just, I was like, no, there has to be something I'm not seeing here, or I don't, you know, is there like a, a, a mystery defender that's like hiding behind someone that I'm, I'm not looking at? No, there's nobody within, I don't know, eight feet of Lance Thomas, and he, he like you said, he's literally next to the rim. Um, and yeah, he's no, amazing. And no, it, so. But this was, it was super, super common. Um, so it's like not just Moutier, um, all of our ball handlers, um, both the stats and the film show that they're just, uh uh we're, we're just terrible so like um you know we averaged a decent number of drives per game um 45.4 which was good for 14th in the nba yeah it's not bad not bad and a lot of that has to do with when you have you know terrible creators like we do a lot of that had to do with the screens the off-ball stuff um and on-ball stuff getting guys the ball with momentum going downhill um like we were talking about which is that's awesome to to take you know a group of emmanuel Moutier, Frank Nilakina, you know, like this Motley crew, um, and get them to the rim that frequently, that's, that's relatively impressive. The problem is, um, they passed the ball, their pass, their pass percentage off drives was like, uh, the second worst in the NBA. Um, so they basically never passed. So they would get, the defense would collapse in, which is what you want them to do when you drive, um, which leaves men open on the three point line. Um, and you know, they just would not see them, whether it was, um, a lack of vision or guys just wanted to score or I don't know what it was. Um, but well, just, and I think the, the best stat that backs this up is on cleaning the glass. I think, um, our, uh, percentage of shots taken at the rim, I think by the end of the year, it was probably like what, 12th, 13th, 14th, somewhere, somewhere in that range. And their percentage, um, in terms of field goal percentage at the rim was, I believe it was dead last, right? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously and- they're taking a lot of shit shots once they get there. Yeah, well, and it got worse because, I mean, other teams, you know, teams are smart. They watch film. Um, They picked up on this. So, like, you started to see coverages switch at the end, um, towards the end of the season, where defenses were helping um, off shooters to pack the lane. Um, Almost like as if, you know, um, you know, Damian Dotson can shoot the ball really well. Luke Cornett can shoot the ball really well. But defenses didn't care because uh, they, they treated them like it was like DeAndre Jordan standing out there because um, they knew the pass wasn't going to come. Um, so I want to I want to uh, just pick up on that quickly because I I'm obsessive with num- like you're clearly great with film. I'm much better with numbers and just like tracking stats and whatnot. And I know for most of the season, they were either dead last or second to last in percentage of shots taken um, from the corner. Uh, And then that, I think the percentage maybe didn't improve, but their, their league wide ranking went up like five or six spots. Here's, but where I want to go with that is, is something very specific. I got the sense just like you say, from the naked eye, Dennis Smith Jr. was a little bit better at that. Am I imagining that? Is that what I want to believe? Or did you see any evidence of that whatsoever? Like kicking it out to the corner? Uh, I think that's right. Um, he was definitely, in terms of like, um, he was definitely the most uh, talented passer. He could throw passes that other guys can't throw. Like he has that, um, 
the sort of one-handed sling pass you see uh, Harden do, he could sure. he could do this. Um, he was able to do a bunch of, you know, he, he'd make one of Clyde's cardinal sins where he jumps in the air, but he would make like really, really great wraparound passes, things yeah. that Moutier wasn't making, things that um, Nilakina wasn't really making. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's right. He's probably, at least he has the skill to do it more so than somebody like Moutier. Um, and I think that showed up. Uh, on the film. And then the other thing that I was wondering, just in terms of like the specific players on the roster, I, I'm a big Frank Nilakina fan, but I also try to be, you know, realistic with what he is and what he can be and what he, what he can't be. And I got the sense that because of his, um, let's say athletic limitations, when he, when he was able to drive, when he, I, I don't even know if I should say was able to drive or when he decided to drive. <laughs> when he when he made his way down the lane, um, he's usually like doing so with these like big strides. And again, this is just like a naked eye type of thing. I got the sense that it's tougher to make kick out passes when you when you're like him and you have like less athleticism. So maybe it's like more of your athleticism is is kind of spent just getting there, and maybe that pass isn't as open. Is that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, it's certainly the case that Frank didn't, um, he didn't get all the way to the rim very often. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm going towards. Yeah. Usually to make, so like, you know, you get, um, you don't have to get all the way to the rim to make those, uh, corner passes. Normally, like if it's on a basic pick and roll, um, as soon as, if if the defense is in like drop coverage where the drop coverage where the uh, the big falls back and uh, uh, trail trail coverage with the point guard where the the point guard defender comes over the screen um, to prevent a three point shot, which wouldn't happen too much with Frank, but yeah. um, typically the at that point the the defender in the in the corner who's guarding the man in the corner is going to drop down to bump the roll man, and at that point when he drops, that's when you can make that um, kick out to the corner. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, you can you can uh, increase the chances that um, he'll have to come down further, the uh, the bump man, if you can get all the way to the rim, because um, that'll tie up the big, so the big doesn't have the opportunity to to go back to guarding the big because he has to pay attention to the point guard. So Frank pulling up, you know, ten feet from the rim or uh, eight feet from that rim from the rim, like that uh, close mid range sort of spot, instead of getting all the way to the rim. Um, is going to make a little bit of a difference there in terms of getting getting guys open in the corner. Yeah, and that, and it makes a lot. And I wonder also, like how how much were were teams um, maybe not um, not worrying about the bump as much with Frank in particular because he was they were just like this guy can't hit a shot. We're we're going to yeah. let him shoot. Um, yeah. I think the most interesting question that your piece raises is like. Okay, the screen stuff, the spacing. Well, the screen stuff again. That could just be a, a technique thing. Um, but even to a certain extent, with that, it's like okay, if Cantor is slipping when he should be setting a harder screen, if him or Vonley is in a space where they're not supposed to be, and definitely in these instances where there are pa- pa- passes there to be made that are just not being made. Um, you ask a great question. Are we, are we to assume that like Fisdale isn't emphasizing this stuff at all? Like that doesn't make any sense. But on yeah. the other hand, 
like, what's the alternative? Is it basically like he's telling these guys, all right, here's the stuff you're supposed to be doing. And are they, did they just ignore him? Like, I don't, I, like, where did you ultimately, how do you kind of justify all this mumble jumble in your, in your own head as you're thinking about this stuff? Um, well, so actually your piece, um, I think helped me think about this a little bit. So I went, I went back and I was watching footage, um, uh, of times when, so like, first of all, I don't think I'm trying, I'm trying to think, I don't think a single one of the Knicks players I would say are league average passers for their position. Maybe Luke Cornett is the closest. I was about to say, Luke, Luke throws some nice passes there. <laughs> but, he throws some nice passes. Maybe he's, but like, there's some like really, really good centers who are you know, yeah. great passers. Um, but he, he, he doesn't make like phenomenal passes. Uh, like, you know, he's not Jokic or anything. He's not running an offense, but he does a really good job of not letting the ball stick, swinging it to open men on the perimeter. Um, he hitting. does what he's supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Yeah, and so so I was going back and I was watching I was watching Luke, um, Kadeem Allen, um, and when you ha- and Damian Dotson, um, he's not I don't think he's league average for a two guard in terms of passing, but he's um, made strides. He's one of the next yeah. better players, I would think for the position for their position. Um, when those guys were on the court, um, you saw the advantages ter- turning into better shots much more frequently. Um, and so I you know once I did once I was watching that. And I've been watching some film from like uh, Boston, um, the Celtics, and uh, Portland a little bit. Okay. Because I think there's a lot of similarities between what the Knicks were doing this year uh, and what those two teams do on offense. Um, and I think, I think you put you know Kyrie in this offense, and he's going to be just fine, and like it's going to look good, um, and it's gonna it's gonna produce points. Um, I think it's. I really don't think the offense is too bad. No, maybe. Um, you know, Fisdale should have spent a little bit more time uh, working on um, helping. So, like, one of the – so there's, like, the screen thing, and then there's, like, one of the big weaknesses with the passers were um, um, a- actions going on behind them. So, for okay. example, if you run, like, a pick-and-pop, you know, um, where the big pops behind the, the point guard or the, the ball handler, sure. the ball handler typically can't see – the big out of their eyes, right? They're they're looking at the hoop, trying to go downhill, so they don't get to see where the big is. Those sorts of passes are really challenging, um, and none of the Knicks uh, point guards, except maybe Frank once in a while, um, could make that pass. It just okay. it just never happened. But look, if you have Kyrie running your offense, you don't have to worry about that. Um, and if you have if you put better players around these guys, it's not like you have to teach Kevin Durant how to set a screen, you know. <laughs> I no, I'm happy you said that because I think there there is a segment of the fan base who is like, well, based on what we saw this year, you know, why would why would anybody good want to come? Um, and I think what you're saying, like, there's a way to sit down with those players and be like, look, we we have a foundation in place here that if you just you know add water, um, it, it's gonna it's gonna look a lot better. I the thing that I, and I spend way 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 too much time thinking about this stuff. Like, I'm big into like thinking about culture and thinking about like locker rooms and thinking about like building a certain type of foundation as a team and like what you stand for. And I just, it's either one of two things, right? It's that minutes were being given to guys who did not have the fundamental like ability to see what was there in front of them to to, like what, what I said before to make the, make the right play, just make the easy play. 
Um, or guys were ignoring the, or not ignoring, maybe I shouldn't say that. We're like <laughs> skirting around the directives to, to, to make the right play. And like, neither of those things is particularly encouraging for me, but uh, you know, then again, it, it, things did seem like hunky dory in the locker room. Maybe it was just like, all right, guys, look, you could have your, you know, you could have your cake a little bit and do your you know, try to, try to get your next contract, but, um, you know, maybe give me a little bit sometimes too. I, I don't know. I just, it, I, I don't think there's any way to answer these questions, but I do think it's, it's, they're interesting to talk about, you know? For sure. I mean, the stuff you're getting at, um, I think is, is right. So like my worries about like the actual structure of the offense, like the plays they're running, the sets they're running are like very, very little. Um, I feel pretty comfortable with those, but I was not um, that impressed with rotations this year, uh, and I was not that impressed with um, the way they used certain players. Um, but I'm not I'm not sold how much of that was like it's it's tough to figure out like what you know. Um, so one example is like I think I think maybe I'm way too high on it, but I really like Luke Cornett. I, I think was, he's, I was, literally I was just about to to say his name. Continue. Yeah. Maybe the best player on the Knicks this year, like maybe <sighs> him and Mitch Robinson are like you know well, they're right. Up- so but- I think Luke's ultimate uh, net rating was their highest among um, either him or, or Cornette, or sorry, either is either Cornette or Kadeem Allen were their highest net rating at the end of the day for like guys that actually played substantial minutes. Yeah, you could listen, man. I'm not going to argue with you if you want to say that. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I it's it's insane a little bit, but it's not totally insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I so I really think um, that if you put like if you put Luke Cornett, if you took Brooke Lopez off the um, Milwaukee Bucks, maybe some people will think I'm I'm nuts for saying this, but I think if you took uh, Brooke Lopez off the Bucks and you replaced him with Luke Cornett, you'd have really similar production. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy at all. Yeah, uh, and. Brooke Lopez was like an incredibly valuable player this year. Now, uh, does he match up against everybody well in the playoffs? <laughs> no. Um, you can't uh, – he's not He's not good at defending in space. Uh, Luke Cornett has that same problem, right? They're like – they're very similar, except Brooke Lopez has a post game that Luke Cornett doesn't have. Um, true. But that's – you know, on a really good team, you don't want Brooke Lopez playing in the post. That's not how you're going to um, have the most efficient offense. You want the ball in Giannis's hands or – you know, whatever good t- if Kyrie comes to the Knicks, you want the ball in Kyrie's hands, not Luke Cornett's. Um. <laughs> and, and can I and can I guess where you're going with this next? Um, surely, someone that could have been argued was the Knicks' best player this year. He must have played uh, 1,500 or 2,000 minutes for this Knicks team, right? You would think. Not so much. Yeah, he hardly saw the court. Um, now, yeah. one thing I was like, I don't know, maybe this is nuts, but like. Um, when I want to be incredibly charitable, I think, well, maybe. Um, you I know, know you where could, you're going with this, like, too. I, what? I said I know where you're going with this, too. Yeah, say yeah. it. You could think it was just, like, a, a terrible move, like the Damian Dotson, like, don't play him. But you could think, like, maybe they're trying to, like, hide him so you can you can give him a nice cheap contract next year. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's, like, a sort of reasonable thing to do. You realize, oh, I mean, Luke Cornett's been doing the exact thing he was doing in the NBA in the G League. Um, he came up, he showed he could do the same thing. He was shooting roughly the same percentage, um, from three, you know, and he could shoot, um, uh, from any place in the gym, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, his, and so his thought, range hey. is 
is a legitimate weapon. Um, he is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a... Um, this is what actually got me thinking about this. There was a recent... Um, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago, an article came out, uh, and I, I can't remember who wrote it, um, but it was the Bucks GM was talking about why they traded for Miritich, and they were saying, what we, you know, we track, we call them four-point shooters. We track this. Who, who are shooting shots um, greater than 30 feet, for example, um, especially bigs? Because when a big is shooting from that far away and they can do it reliably, you put so much pressure on the defense. Um, it's, it's impossible. I mean, the, what has to happen is the rim protector has to leave the paint, you know? And when you see this, uh, rim protectors, uh, leaving the paint and you have somebody like Giannis, um, who can get to the rim, um, against just about anybody. And it's one-on-one at that point. Um, I mean, say goodnight, right? Like it's going to be easy. Well, to reference, to reference the piece that I wrote after I read yours, when Kadeem Allen and Luke Cornett were on the floor together, the Knicks had a league average offense. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a terribly huge sample size, but it was, you know, over 100 minutes. And again, we're talking about a guard who just, all he did was make the right play. He didn't do anything special. He's not, you know, he's a, tw- he's a 26-year-old, you know, guy that's, you know, maybe an NBA player. I don't know. And then Luke Cornett, who's spent more time in the G League than he has with the big club over the last two years. And... Yeah, and that's what it does. So I and and yet Luke Cornett played like four hundred. What was it? Four hundred something minutes this year. Yeah, it was not. Yeah, not very many. And yet, and yet, and I, I look. We've been talking for thirty five minutes. I, I I purposely tried to hold off on this because I I get accused of shitting on Emmanuel Mudiay a lot. And yet, Emmanuel Mudiay, um, if he didn't lead the team in minutes this year, I mean, he was he was close. <laughs> and 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 based on all the the video work that you did and based on the the numbers that I saw like you can I could make arguments for a whole lot of things but it's like the the only argument that I have for continuing to play Moutier is that basically by the time that and I said this by the time Fisdale would have hopefully decided like okay this this guy is what he is it's not getting better basically the other the other point guard options were were injured. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say because he like he he the the fact that you play that guy and if it's any it, you know <laughs> how long does it take to recognize what somebody is and recognize what somebody isn't? Did did uh, Kadeem Allen did he play all of his uh, eligible games with the big club? So that's a so that's one of the like. Information in the NBA has become pretty transparent. The one thing that is still not publicly uh, available is like, um, you know, for instance, let's say when Kadeem Allen was first up, like the Knicks had a game on Tuesday and then their next game was on, you know, Friday, right? So Mm -hmm. that's, if he was on the roster for those two games, we know that that's two games of NBA eligibility, but we don't know... Like there, I I I think the the whether or not the two days in between like count against his eligibility. That's a matter of like the league office knows it and and the Knicks know it and nobody else knows it. I see. So I always wonder that exact same thing. Like why wasn't Kadeem Allen up here more? Um, the only other thing, and I didn't even know this until somebody pointed it out to me. You don't get forty five days. Um, from the point in time you sign to the end of the season, it's prorated based on when you sign your your um, your two way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Kadeem, I think 
I want to say Ian Bagley had a tweet about this at some point during the year. He didn't have 45 days with the club. He had like 20-something days. So I, I think see. that explains a little bit of it. But uh, like the fact that you're even asking that question, it's like, you know, what the fuck, man? Oh, Kadeem is, I mean, way better than Emmanuel Moody. Oh, yeah, no, but it's not even close. Uh, and, and you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and there's no there's like no no nearby world, no possible world where Emmanuel Mudiay um, plays meaningful, uh, productive minutes on a good team um, anytime in the near future. Well, not not the version of him that we that we saw this year. Yeah, no, yeah. I just yeah, but Kadeem Allen, you could actually see him playing. Like I don't think he's like you were saying. I mean, uh, he's not he's not a world beater. He's not a star or even a he's not even a a league average point guard but he could play legitimate backup playoff minutes well, on a good team well let's uh, let's use this to transition into the other topic that we wanted to to hit quickly today before we we go which is looking at the roster based on you know all the film work that you did uh, you know I looked at the numbers a little bit and trying to figure out like okay I don't want to. I don't want to go down the road of like all the different scenarios that could happen this summer. But let's, you know, let's say for shits and giggles, right? They get two. I, I don't even care who they are. They get two really good players, right? Um, and two players that. Um, let's even go a step further. Two players that are capable of um, being the predominant. Um, you want to say like engines behind an offense? Is that fair to say? Sure. Based on that and based on where the roster is at right now, who were the guys that you think like just fit in the most seamlessly um, around that those type of talents? Um, I would say, uh, I, I guess this isn't in any particular order, but these are these are the guys: um, Mitchell Robinson, uh, Luke Cornett, Damian Dotson, Kadeem Allen, Noah Vonleh. Uh, oh, uh, and maybe, maybe Alonzo Trier. So Trier is interesting to me, and I want to start with him, actually, because I think some okay. of the other ones are, are pretty, like, for me, like, for a, as much as it, it may surprise people, I agree with you. I think, like, Kadeem Allen and Luke Cornett, like, those are obvious answers, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, you know what they could do, you know they're going to make the right play. Um, you know, Luke Cornett is like, a, like we talked about before, he's a definable NBA skill. Um, Mitch is Mitch. He's, you know, he's obviously not going anywhere. Um, and Dotson, well, I, I know we didn't talk about defense at all. Do you, I, I, and I don't know how much time you spent looking at, at Dotson's defense this year. Does his defense worry you at all? Uh, I'm not, I, I mean, he sometimes has a reputation. I feel like amongst people as a pretty good defender. I'm not very high on his defense. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, uh, it's not like J.J. Redick uh, liability bad where he's going to get picked on in the playoffs or something like that. Okay. Um, but so it's, not, it's not anything to write home about. He's not making the team significantly better via his defensive. Yeah, no, I, I, it's just because of the off-ball stuff is, is, could be brutal. Um, yeah, but no, but he, he's another one. If he hits you know whatever the percentage of shots is, he's probably going to hit by next year. He'll be fine. Trier's an interesting one because I feel like you kind of need – and Alonzo Trier on on every team or some version of that, um, but like as as a bench guy, right? As like a guy to come in and give you you know twenty minutes um, a game. But I, I guess that gets into the issue of that I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll touch on now, which is like 
does the bad outweigh the good? It's like guys like Luke Cornett and Kadeem Allen and to a lesser extent, you know, like a, a Damian Dotson, like they, they might not be putting as much on the table, but they're, I don't think they're taking as much off the table. With Trier, you get a little bit of a, an extended um, extension on both directions, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to see him here next year? I mean, I'll just ask you that. Um, depends on his role in the offense. Um, I don't, I don't want to see, I mean, you, you don't want to see the ball in his hands if it could be in Kyrie's hands. Um, (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things like, uh, he sometimes has a mind of his own out on the court. Um, so there were, there were, I think I put a few examples maybe in my piece. I don't remember, but there were a few. You may have put a few, yeah. Yeah, there's a, definitely cases where, like, the team gets into a set and they do something really good, and then he sort of just, like, stands there and waves them off and then calls, you know, Mitch Robinson, come set a, a screen for me. I'm going to run a pick and roll. Oh, uh, I, remember, I remember the clip you're talking about. Yeah, where he, he like, completely <laughs> and utterly disregarded what the play was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't care. I want to run a pick and roll. Yeah, um, yeah. And he has some of that mindset. Um, but he's a, he's interesting to me. Um He's a phenomenal shooter. I mean, it's been very um, low volume, um, but um, Ben uh, Taylor had a, a podcast recently where he was talking about um, he was he, he just went through historical data and he was trying to determine who uh, what sort of cutoffs there were um, for college career and first year NBA players. Um, uh, so he just looked at um, the the college career and first year of, of the NBA for all-time great shooters. Okay. Um, and he just looked at what the percentages are. So you might think that's probably not a predictor of who's going to be a great shooter or an all-time great shooter because they, you know, like they make the cut or whatever. Um, but it, at least it looks like it's a necessary condition. So he found some like cutoffs where like basically no all-time great shooters had worse, uh, you know, percentages than these free throw percentages and three point shot percentages. Okay. Um, and Trier, so there, he had the all-time great list, and then he had the like the all-time uh, very very good list or something like that. So it was just below. Okay. Uh, and Trier is like just at that cutoff. Wow. Uh, in terms of shooting um, for free throws and three-point percentage or percentage. So he he doesn't shoot vol. I mean, I think he shot like two it two a game this year. So it's not on big volume. It got but he, he, he really started shooting good. more as the season went on, which is the one thing I was encouraged by. That's right. That's right. So given that, if he could, if he could just like um, be comfortable with being a secondary or tertiary creator, where like you know stuff doesn't go right with the first action, um, and he'll offer some creation in that role, or like as maybe a you know seventh or eighth man off the bench who offers some maybe even primary creation for uh, a bench unit, and he's willing to just you know spot up all over the place and just you know hit easy shots off kickouts from whoever's running the offense, I'd be happy with him here. I'm not sure he wants to do that. I, you know, and this is like, again, the list of unknowns that have been generated by this season are, you know, it's so long. Um, Like, is there anybody, is there any way for us to really know why David Fisdale was like playing Emmanuel Moutier all these minutes? No. I mean, it it could have just been a matter of like, you know, at a, hoping against hope that maybe the, the, the light would, uh, would switch on at some point and it didn't. And then it's like, ah, eh, all right, what's the worst that happens? We end up with the first pick or the, the best lottery odds, you know, so be it. Um, with Trier, it's like, 
if they were te- like clearly he had the green light um i but i wonder how much of it was like all right this is your year to work out the kinks right which i think to a large extent that like i we we messaged each other i think after i wrote mine and you wrote yours and i was like i'm hopeful and you and i think you agreed with me and the reason i'm hopeful is because ultimately at the end of this at the end of the day everybody roster coaches front office everybody everybody knew this was a year to throw shit against the wall right and I think maybe some of the disturbing tendencies we saw from some players can be attributed to like, all right, this is your year to figure some stuff out. And then, you know, it'll start for real next year. Now, that's obviously a very dangerous because it has, you know, you, you have to ask questions about, well, what what type of culture are you setting? Um, this is supposed to be year one of the culture reset, the umpteenth culture reset for the next, you know, it's like, but whatever. Um, I don't know. Trier seems like a smart guy. Um, he also seems like super competitive, which could be a gift and a curse, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Um, before Can we I go, yeah, sorry, yeah. What were I was you gonna say about your? You were talking about this being a year to throw shit against the wall. Um, so I was actually disappointed with some of the, the shit they didn't throw against the wall. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, like especially, so the two the two guys. Well, I guess the three guys that pissed me off the most um, that they I didn't think they used well or creatively enough were um as luke which we already talked about so can i guess the other two yeah go ahead um is mario one of them no really yeah no wow okay um wow that was like the first name that that immediately jumped out at me um frank yep okay um who's your third one uh vonley really yeah so what what do you what are you thinking about his zonia what did you want them to try with him Oh, I, I mean, I, to me, it's just the most, maybe because of recency bias, the most obvious one that, like, you know, we saw, you know, we saw the little glimpse of Point Hazonia, and it was like, yeah, it was the ultimate in NBA season garbage time, but um, <laughs> it was, it was, listen, it was enough to make me be like, all right, I, I kind of wish we saw more of that throughout the year, um, but he, uh, he's such a maddening player. Um, well, yeah, so I guess the reason I, w- I wouldn't pick him, I don't, I mean, I, it was such a small sample size, I didn't put a lot of stock in it. But then also, um, I just don't see him having skills that so uh, uh, are translatable to winning teams, really. Um, so, like, if you're not going to be a super efficient creator, um, like a you know Damian Lillard or Jokic or Kyrie Irving or something, sure. you just don't want the ball in that guy's hands creating in the playoffs um, or in like meaningful games. Um, Because that's just, it's worse for your team. It's literally Um, the worst thing you could have in the NBA is an inefficient player who has the ball in his hands a lot. Yeah, you're 100% right. And and there's no way, I mean, I just don't see Hazonia ever being at the level of efficiency creating that you really want the ball in his hands. Um, And then his off-ball stuff that he does, I mean, his defense is not not good. Um, (laughs) He doesn't rebound that well. He's not a very good passer. Um, And these these are the things that are like, if you're going to make it on a playoff team and you're going to make the playoff team better, um, those are the things you need to be able to do. You need to be able to stretch the floor. You need to be able to shoot. You need to be able to create value without using possessions. And I don't see Hazonia as capable of doing that. And I I just want to take one thing you said one step further because you're like, he's not a good passer. And some some person listening to this is going to be like, how could you say he's not a good passer? He had 15 assists, whatever. Having the (laughs) ability to make correct passes and good passes doesn't make you a good passer. And I think what you're talking about is more that we've seen just as much evidence that he makes 
poor passes in addition to the good ones. And also, um, like you highlighted a couple times, I think in your in your pieces, he just doesn't make the passes that are there to be made um, occasionally. Yeah. Um, so and when he did a bunch, you know, that I mean, a lot of it was like against the Houston Rockets defense after they were up by like thirty five or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, listen, say no more. Um, yeah. So wait, I'm I'm curious about. Um, quickly uh vonley and frank what did you want to see more from from each of them this year um okay so frank i would have i would have used him in a bunch of ways i think um frank frank has skills to be uh um a plus on a playoff team i think um defense translates really well yeah. um passing translates pretty well and i actually think frank's a pretty good passer I agree. um yeah the problem is he just doesn't have the ability to get to places on the court where he can use that passing um, ability. So, like, for example, he can't, uh, he can't really drive. Um, he can't really uh, create off the bounce. So I would have really liked them to u- try to use him in either the, like, Jokic role or the, like, Draymond Green sort of role, uh, where he plays as a big, like a four. Wow. That's um, interesting. I don't know that he's strong enough to really do it on defense at this point, but I see it as like a distinct possibility where he could maybe play the four. Well, um, in that type and, of role, you're counting on your other players to do a lot of the movement and him to basically pinpoint the pass when it's there, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and then also, you can also do a bunch of things like, um, so Miami was great about doing this with um, Justice Winslow before that guy figured out how to shoot. Uh, <laughs> He could handle the ball relatively, you know, relatively well, but they would run a lot of um, uh, designated handoffs for him. Um, and because when he couldn't shoot, defenses would his man would sag way off him. Um, if you run a, a designated handoff, you basically um, you get the three point shooter wide open because you set a screen on his man and there's no help there. Sure. You know? um, so there's like things like that you can do. So I would have really liked to see. Um, and I mean, look at the Warriors. Obviously, we don't have <laughs> Warriors caliber players uh, on the Knicks this year, but with players sagging that far off Draymond you still don't really have a lot of problems and because of his uh, ability to pass the ball um he makes the offense significantly better and I think Frank is not a Draymond level passer but I think he has uh the vision and uh uh passing ability to make a bunch of those sorts of reads um uh and make a bunch of those passes someone yeah go ahead someone's gonna figure him out um and I I'd be lying if I said I thought it was going to be on this team. I, I hope I, I hope against hope that I'm I'm wrong. I've I've never I don't know what it is about him. I've never had an emotional attachment to a player quite like I do Frank. I just I really like the kid and I believe in him. Um, you know I don't know if it's going to happen here, but I wouldn't you be, like I would be shocked if he did not figure it out. If some coach did not figure out how to unlock him, when don't you think so? Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I don't see him as a star. I don't think he. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about star. I'm just talking about a guy who, like, oh look, it's the playoffs, and oh, there's Franklin Lakino playing 35 minutes. Um, I on think a, on... he can play. Yeah, I think he can. I think he has it in him to um, be a plus yeah. uh, on the sides of the ball. Um, real, the... real quick on Vonley, what did you want to see more out of Vonley this year? Um, so I mean, if you've ever watched Noah Vonley handle the ball, the guy has just. For a six foot nine player, yeah, it's uh, good. Super plus handles. He also has a really good first step. Um, it's quick. He's beat. I watched. I mean, I was looking through some some film, and he beat Giannis uh, with his first step like three times this season. 
um, who's like you know a really a really good defender. He's, um, he's going to be first first team all defense, absolutely. Yeah, um, and uh, he also is um, he's strong as heck. So there's like a there's a bunch of footage of him like driving to the hoop and just basically with a little shoulder drop doing like like what Giannis does, just discarding defenders. Um, there's a really funny one of him uh, uh, on the Portland Trailblazers doing this to Luke Cornett, and poor Luke just goes flying, and then yeah, Von Light just uh, dunks it home. <laughs> um, but so I would have really liked to see him, um, you know, this year was terrible, but Von Light is the sort who actually, I, because of his defensive ability, um, has the chance to give you some value in the playoffs. He is, uh, I, I, I'm, I still the one like like we were saying. There's a ton of unanswered questions about this year. If I could have, if I had a magic uh, a magic lamp and I could ask a genie one question about this next season, it would be what was the best offer for Vonley at the trade deadline? I'm just really curious whether or not some team really tried to get him and and like what yeah. was the offer? Because I, I completely agree with you. I think he could he could be a great player in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. Um, and so for for guys like that, so Frank was like that. Vonley was like that. Those are the guys that I want to see the coach experimenting with because they're the sort of guys you want to be thinking, uh, should we place them around our team when we're going to be trying to win? So let's say we get KD and Kyrie. Well, you want to know, like, can Vonley, um, sh- can we have him bring the ball up the court sometimes? Can he offer some tertiary creation? Um, will he be able to add value that way beyond the other ways he had value? He adds value. Um, and maybe it's just like goes terribly, you know, he can't do it. Um, but you learn something by doing that. We're like, Trying different things with Moutier or Hazonia, guys who I just don't see scaling up to playoff caliber teams, um, offering any value at all. Um, I don't. I don't really care about trying stuff with them. Um, I don't see the use. Yeah, I. I just. I wonder. I wonder how much of it was, you know. They clearly have this organizational philosophy of like taking, you know, taking uh, former you know, high pedigree players and bringing them in. And I, I think their logic is like, all right, if even if one out of five of them hits, um, that's, a, that's a good success rate. But then what do you do with the other four? If you just be like, all right, we're, we're convinced now that you're, you suck and you just sit them on the bench the rest of the, you know, and, and not try to play them. Then like, does that create ripple effects in the locker room? Does it create r- ripple effects outside of your, um, organization with like other agents who are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not, maybe not going to send my guy. That I, these are the things that keep me up at night. Um, <laughs> how, how, I, be thankful that you're not me. Um, <laughs> no, but you, but you make a great point. And, and despite my, my attempt to rationalize it, I think if you, if you had to pinpoint one thing that has you most worried about, um, you know, what, what they're going to do going forward, I think it's exactly that. I think it's exactly what you just said. Um, very, very, very quickly, because I want to get out of here under the hour mark. Um, you did not mention Kevin Knox, um, perhaps because Kevin Knox was, if not the worst player in the league this year, he was, I don't know, one of the, the bottom five. Um, are you, do you think there is a universe where, again, let's assume they get two really good guys this summer, um, he can make enough of a leap to play um, I'll, I'll say a meaningful role on this team next year. Uh, I don't think so. Not next year. That's, that's fair. Uh, that's why I asked it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that I see him. I mean, I'm at the point. So I was, I was not high on him as a draft pick. Okay. Uh, 
I'm not I'm not like a, a draft guru or anything, but I watched a little bit of him at Kentucky and just his um, reaction times on offense and defense were horrendous. Um, where like he he'd he'd get the ball and he'd just be so slow to make a decision. Um, and I think we saw that improve a little bit this year on offense bit. where he was, but he was not making any decisions besides drive. Uh, uh, heedlessly into the rim. <laughs> oh no! This this was the ABCs uh, for him, and it was like you know he just the fact that he could get to Z by the end yeah. of the year was like okay, that's that's something. Um, no, you're you're, you're not wrong. Um, yeah. So I mean, on, on my view, um, at this point, what I would like to see him play um, off ball next to some good players, and hopefully he hits some shot and get shots and gets his value up around the league where you can trade him for something that's actually valuable. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. That's, I mean, that's that's how I think about it at this point. Uh, right now, he probably has almost no trade value. But if you can have him like actually hitting some shots, um, he's such he's such a negative on the defensive side of the ball um, that his offense would have to be way better than I can reasonably expect it to be to actually provide value. Um, no, I mean, I, I just I can't be a good player on a good team. So I, you know, get his value up and hopefully try to get something useful for him. There's there's a lot of astounding statistics. Um about the Knicks this year, I think the one that maybe blew me the way away the most is that in the minutes, the minutes that he didn't play, um, based on you know just their their points per hundred possessions scored and given up. I mean, they essentially profiled as like a thirty win team uh, yeah. in the minutes that he did not play, um, <laughs> which is you know it's kind of astounding. I guess the the only thing that I I'm still hopeful because it's like. I I'm I'm a believer that he, his long term position is the four, and I feel like if he gets if he gets stronger, um, he'll at least be able to maybe maybe defend. I, I hesitate to say at a credible level at that position, but <laughs> you know at a level where it's not. Um, you know, it's, it's not a disaster. And, um, I, I guess I'm higher on his offense than you. I like, so what you said, his, his reaction timing and, and his, you know, the way he kind of like saw the court improved a little bit there towards the end of the year. And I think he's going to be a plus shooter. So, you know, if nothing else, if you put a guy who is going to be a 40% three point shooter, which I think he could be at the four and like, he's not a complete disaster, but I, 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 I don't think you're wrong, um, either for having that opinion. Um, yeah, my, I think he's like the best case scenario is like bad Ryan Anderson. Oh dear! <laughs> All right, well that's that sounds like a good place to end. Up. <laughs> uh, no man, listen, I I I have to thank you for coming on um, and and again popping the the podcast, Jerry, because I there's so much stuff out there in the basketball ether about the Knicks and. And I'm guilty of this. A lot of it is just like kind of saying the same thing in different ways and like looking at the same stuff. And um, you did something different and you, you took on the task that I think needed to be taken on. And again, for obvious reasons, no one wanted to do it <laughs> and you did it. <laughs> and if anybody out there is listening to this um, and has not checked out the pieces um, there, are, uh, do you have it as like a pin tweet or is it just on like posting and toasting right now? Where, where can people find, where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff? To, you know, tell them. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I'll, I'll go and pin it right now as a tweet. Um, uh, but it's on posting and toasting. Um, my Twitter's, uh, at Dallas Amico. 
um, Dallas, like the city, and then Amico, A-M-I-C-O, and then underscore, because somebody else has that uh, handle. Very <laughs> important. Very important. Do not forget the underscore. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's it. Uh, once in a while, I throw something out on posting and toasting um, or a few uh, random tweets. Well, um, you're really good at it, and uh, I'm looking forward to – you know, part of uh, there's a lot of reasons I want the Knicks to be good next year, um, but one of them is so you know smart basketball people who follow this team can actually have a chance to uh, analyze a good a good product on the court. Um, so I will be, uh, as I'm sure you will be too, um, hoping for a, a successful uh, summer. Yeah, um, but yeah, man, thanks I for th- coming on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the kind words. Um, and I would just say, like, I I uh, was just teaching recently. Um, I don't know, uh, Albert Camus, uh, 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 the myth of Sisyphus. And there's a really <laughs> great line that just like his, the line that he closes with is a line that just sums up this next season. So he's talking about Sisyphus, right? He pushes the rock up the hill every sure, day. Yeah. Um, and it felt like, you know, just this like miserable, meaningless, pointless tasks to watch the Knicks over and over, especially their terrible offense. Um, and, but his final line is, you know, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in spite of the absurd like you just have to you have to do it or else like you know you're not going to be able to continue on living so i feel like that like it's fitting for knicks fans we've been watching the absurd for a long time um engaging in the absurd cheering for a team with no hope um but you gotta imagine knicks fans happy (laughs) um yes because the alternative is certain death um that's that's all we have hope hope or death um i love these options these are really Thank you for leaving me this way um, on on an otherwise pleasant Sunday afternoon. Um, All right, man. Listen, this was a lot of fun. Um, This will not be the last time uh, you're on for sure, but uh, it is a good good first one. I'll say that. Thank you. Um, And yeah, to everybody out there listening, um, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Um, Quick shameless plug before we go. If you haven't already done so, um, go to um, either my Twitter page or JB's, obviously, uh, at Nick Film School. Subscribe to the newsletter so you could be all caught up on um, all the little Nick's news and notes of the offseason as it moves along. Um, I try to have something in the newsletter every day. Um, and, yeah, that's it. We'll be back with you with another episode in a few days. But until then, um, yeah, have a good week. Peace out.